Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Chapter 3. Book of James, chapter 3. So, um, there's a guy by the name of Bill Brown. Some of y'all know Bill Brown. He's been a member of First Baptist for a long, long time. He now stays at the Beacon down the highway, and he's pretty much confined to a bed. Been that way for quite a while. And um, I got a chance to visit him this week. I went to see him. And I always like visiting Bill because you never visit Bill without feeling better about yourself than you ever could possibly feel. See, you go in, you check in at the front desk, and they say, who are you seeing? And Bill Brown, oh, we love him. He's the best. You walk down the hallway, and if you see nurses and you chat with them, who are you seeing? We're seeing Bill. Oh, he's just our favorite. And then you knock on the door, and you walk in, and you go into his room, and the first thing Bill does is start to encourage you. He starts to say how glad he is to see you. He starts to tell you how, how great you are, how nice you look, all these other things. And then he says, and I'm so thankful to God. And it's pretty much he, he just encourages and thanks God the entire visit. Wants to know about your life. And every time I leave visiting Bill, I always leave thinking that's the way I want to be. When I'm confined to a bed, have nothing to give except my words. The truth is, your words are incredibly powerful. We started last week talking about legacy. Legacy and reputation are things that we should spend an enormous amount of energy and effort building. And the reason is this. A reputation is, is what people think about you. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you should be concerned about what everybody thinks about you. I'm saying you should be concerned that you are a person that would cause people to think well of you. There's a difference. Everybody has somebody who doesn't like them. I could promise you there are lots of people who would tell you they hate me, they think I'm Satan incarnate, and you know, some things you just can't help. But here's the thing. Hopefully the majority of people would have a positive impression. That's, that's the goal. And my reputation is dependent upon largely... My life. Your reputation is dependent largely upon your life. But reputation is what people think about you. Legacy is something entirely different. Reputation ends eventually. Because reputation has a lifespan. As we looked at last week in the, in, uh, uh, the, uh, the book of Acts, David served the Lord in his generation. He died he was buried in the last part of that verse, and then his body decayed. In other words, once his body decayed, he was pretty much forgotten except for what he left as a legacy. His reputation pretty much, after people know you and then they, they just keeps going farther and farther down, your reputation fades. Your legacy, though, is the fruit of your life. So are you building a reputation and are you building a legacy? Are you building a, a reputation where people see you uh, highly? They, you're the kind of person where they want to be around. You're the kind of person they want to emulate. And are you building a legacy that is kingdom-centered 
and that is building people up and pointing them to Jesus, or are you building a legacy that is not so marvelous at all? The truth is, every one of us, whether we try to or not, are building a reputation and a legacy. With our life, that's what happens. But intentional building of a reputation and a legacy is what I'm talking about today. So, the book of James, chapter 3, I want to ask you about the first way you build your legacy. That is through your words. There are four ways to build a legacy to remind you. It's through your words. It's through your deeds or your actions. It's through your wealth. And it's through your love. These four ways that we build a, a reputation, if we're intentional about it, we'll find that we could, we could impact generation after generation after generation. And it's not hard. It's really not hard. It's very simple. It's by doing the next right thing that God leads you to do. So in James chapter 3, let's look at this. The first way we build a reputation, or one of the first uh, uh, means of building a reputation, is through our words. This is probably the hardest thing for us to do. Because there's something inside of us that works against what we're supposed to be doing. And James talks about this. Chapter 3, starting in verse, let's start with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature man who is able to control his whole body. Now, when we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we also guide the whole animal. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest a small fire ignites. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is set on fire by hell. Every sea creature, reptile, bird, or animal is tamed by uh, or is tamed or has been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We praise our Lord and Father with it, and we curse men and are, who are made in God's likeness with it. Praising and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers, this should not be. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers, or a grapevine produce figs, neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Is there any more difficult passage in Scripture than this? Or is there any more difficult consideration of, of life than this? The fact that such a small part of our body can cause such great harm or can cause such great hope? Literally, your tongue, being so small, has the ability to heal or to curse. Your, ability, your tongue, being so small, has the ability to direct a person's course of life in a way that is heartache and pain, or it has the ability to direct a person's life in a way that is full of hope and knowing Christ. Your tongue has that much power. Everybody say, oh me. There should be a holy fear when it comes to this. We really should tremble with the, fact, or with the fact that our tongue, if not tamed and controlled, 
can do great damage, but knowing that if it, if, it, if it is tamed and controlled, can bring such great hope. Now, where James begins is he says, we all stumble in many ways. And the truth of the matter is this. Not one of us has tamed our tongue to the point where we are always giving hope, we are always speaking the things of God, we are always encouraging, we are always lifting up. None of us have been able to do that. Turn to the person next to you and say, you failed. <laughs> and, and all of us, you know, the reason I want you to do that is because I don't want this to be something where we feel condemned and we feel overburdened and you know this is not about being guilty for the past this is about moving on for the future some have done a better job at this than others some your very nature is it makes it difficult you know just just your personality whatever makes it difficult or your life experience makes it difficult to be a person who uses their tongue for the kingdom of God some people have had different experiences and it's a little easier but regardless of what your past says the human nature of a person is to use your tongue to protect yourself, to declare yourself righteous or right, to try to justify actions or decisions. The very nature of a person is to use the tongue that is in a sharp way. But there's hope. But wait, there's more. We're going to get to that in a minute. He says everybody is, is uh, guilty of stumbling, but... The one who does not stumble, he is a mature man and who is able to control his whole body. So the but wait there's more is that even though we all stumble in many ways, even though the Bible says no man can control or contain the tongue, he says there is a way for your tongue to produce life as opposed to death. There is a way for you to use your tongue for hope and for blessings rather than cursing. And we're going to talk about how to make that happen in just a minute. But I want to say this. Um, our, our entire life, we are speaking, right? It seems like many of us even speak while we're asleep. But I want to extend speaking to what we write as well. The tongue would simply mean words. So the words you say, but also the words you communicate in writing are just as important. In fact, what is written down is might be even more important. Because when you write something down, you document it. There is a history where whoever receives what you have written, they can store it and they can go back and they can read it over and over and over. This works for both the things of God and also for the things that are not of God. Just keep that in mind when we're talking today that the words we're talking about is written and spoken. It's what comes from you. So where does all this come from? Let's go to the beginning. God is the beginning or is the author of the power of words. Did you know that? How do we know that? In Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let there be, and it was, and it was good. Think about it. Everything in existence came into existence because it was spoken into existence. The words of God they were powerful in that they formed all that we know into existence. Now, there's a danger, though, when we're talking about our words. Because even though our words are powerful, even though our words are effective, our words are not God's word. We must never confuse the word of God and the word of man. Y'all hear me now? So God speaks thing into, things into existence. We don't speak things into existence. 
What we speak, though, is implanted in the ears and in the hearts and in the minds of those who hear, and it, and it changes uh, the way that they think and the way they act. So, so it does have an effect, but it's not the same as when God said, let it be, and it is. Your words have no power. God's words have incredible power. Now, here's where these two commingle, okay? When God is speaking his word through your mouth, the supernatural can happen. Does that make sense? So when God is in control of your mouth and he speaks words through you, sometimes, well, not sometimes, anytime God speaks through you and it is God who is speaking, supernatural things happen. That's why when somebody is praying and, 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 and commands healing or something, when God is doing that work, God does it. But you and your own flesh, you and your own ability, my, me and my own ability, have no power whatsoever. James starts this passage, though, by saying, not many of you should become teachers. Why? Because a teacher teaches the Word of God. And when you teach the Word of God, you are held responsible that you accurately teach the Word of God in a way that's what God actually says. The scariest thing for me every single week is that I might say something that is Jeff's opinion, not God's Word. It scares me to death to know that some people listen and they take things that I say and they do something that I didn't intend or something that just came out the wrong way and it, and it moves them in life in a way that's not good. And I think, oh gosh, I'm held accountable for that. So our words are incredibly important. I will say this though, the greatest joy of my life in terms of pastoring is preaching. When you're called to preach, there's no greater joy. Why? Because you get to declare the Word of God to everyone and anyone who will listen. So if you're in this room and you've been called to preach, that is a joy. You should walk into it with fear and trembling, but you should walk into it nevertheless. That was a little side trip. Thanks for letting me take it. All right. So the Scripture talks about the tongue being uncontrollable, except it can be controlled by, in the right way. We'll get to that in a minute. And then it goes on and it says, let me tell you about this small little thing called the tongue. And it gives some examples. It says, uh, you put bits into the horse's mouth to make them obey us. Now, a bit is a metal piece, a metal, metal rod about that long, and it goes right in between the jaws or right in between the upper and the lower teeth. With that bit and a rein on each side, you can control a monstrous horse to do whatever it is you want him to do. You can make him sit. You can make him stand up. You can make him walk. You can make him put him in reverse and go, you know, beep, beep, beep. You can do all that stuff, right? Think about how powerful a horse is. I mean, horses are giant. They are stronger than us by far. And yet with that little bit, the whole horse is subject to whatever the one controlling it wants to do. Then he says, the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. Now, this was real to me yesterday. I went diving, and I was on this 50-foot, 3-foot boat. And as we were coming up, I was looking at the, the propeller, and I was looking just behind the propeller, and there was a metal plate about twice as big as this. And it goes like that. Twice as big as this controlled 53 feet of a ship by doing this. Now, take your tongue and stick it out. I can't believe nobody went, ah, haven't you ever been to the doctor? Come on. I mean, just, 
just, um, just think of your tongue. I mean, yeah, it's kind of gross sticking out, right? By the way, does anybody, when you go to the doctor, always pop a breath mint just in case they make you say, ah? I mean, it, it's, it's always a concern in my mind. I hope it is yours too. God bless the doctors who have to do that. Uh, so, the tongue is that big, right? I mean, I guess technically if it goes all the way back, but, but essentially your tongue is that big. Think of it, that much of your body has the ability to give life or death. Far more powerful than your eyes, far more powerful than your hands. You can do more with your tongue in terms of changing or affecting a person's life than you could ever possibly do with your hands or with your feet. The tongue is that powerful. It controls great ships. It controls horses and animals. In fact, the Bible says even that a large fire is, can be started. The entire forest can be burnt down with one small spark. How small is a spark? It's, it's minuscule. It's fleeting. And, and you do know, though, that a spark is like, it, it's temporary, right? They're, they're and gone. But a spark connecting with the right fuel can burn hundreds of thousands of acres that have been growing for hundreds of years, completely decimated all. Need I say more that we should be very afraid of our tongue when it's uncontrolled. See, when the scripture says no one can tame the tongue, the idea is this. In your own flesh, in your own humanness, you can't tame the tongue because it's set on fire by hell. But there is a way for your tongue to be tamed. But it doesn't come from training and it doesn't come from from doing something. It comes from allowing another part of your body to be opened to God's work. And that would be your heart. Open your Bibles over to the left to Matthew chapter 12. You see, the heart is the root of all of your speaking. Whatever you say has initially been built inside of your heart. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is, uh, is speaking here, and in verse 33, he says this, Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of of the heart. If you have a pen or a marker, write that or, or mark that verse there. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good man produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words they will be condemned. That last part there, by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned, points to the nature of the the origin of our words. See, our words are simply a reflection of what's inside of our heart. So if you are a person who leaves a, a positive legacy because of your words, it's because God has done a work in your heart and you can't help but to be a person who leaves a positive legacy. 
But if you're a person who leaves a negative legacy, if you're constantly hurting people with your words, if you're constantly putting people down or whatever, then that is because what's in your heart is producing that. Here's the thing. We are never fully mature. So there are times when a godly person, a mature person, might fall into the temptations of the flesh and do something that's completely opposite of who they are in their heart. That's possible. That happens because we're, we're still humans. But as a general rule, you know that a person has things of God inside of their heart because of their speech. When, when their mouth is kingdom-minded, when their mouth is blessing and honoring people, when their mouth is encouraging and lifting people up, you can look back and you can say, God is doing a work inside of them. So the way you tame your tongue is by allowing yourself to have heart surgery. I don't know if, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Not, the way you tame your tongue is for God to do a work in your heart. For God to do a work in your heart is simply responding in obedience to what God does each and every day inside of you. So, here's the question. Are you a good tree bearing good fruit? Or are you a bad tree bearing bad fruit? My, my, my sense is that for the average Christian, you're a tree bearing some fruit, I say you, for the average Christian, the average Christian is a tree bearing some fruit, but not a tree that's fully matured bearing much fruit. And I say that just as observation from American Christian culture. There's a lot of, there's a lot of half-heartedness. Again, observation, not a judgment, just an observation. There's, there's a lot within American Christianity that's, that's still very worldly and still very half-heartedly. And, and what God is saying is this. He's saying, I want you to be a good, truth, a, a, good truth, a good tree and bear good fruit so that his kingdom can be proclaimed to all of the nations. He wants us to be people who are sold out and surrendered and committed to him in such a way. He's doing such a work that there's no question that we know God, that God is at work in us. If you simply look at Facebook, you can see the, the dissonance, can't you? You can see the dissonance from a person who professes Christ and then yet curses his brother. You can see a person who says they love Jesus on Sunday and yet says things that are demeaning or disparaging towards groups of people or whatever. Y'all see the difference here? And so it makes you wonder, wait a minute, what's going on? How is this possible? I can't judge the person's heart. I can only speculate that that's a person who's met God, but God is not fully engaged in transforming his heart. And the transformation happens by the yielding of yourself and myself to the work of the Spirit inside of us. And so when Jesus said that it is from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, the, the word overflow in the Greek means it's full to capacity and then more. So your mouth is going to speak out of the overflow of what's inside of your heart. 
If the majority in your heart is, are the things of God, then the things out of your mouth are going to reflect that. If the majority in your heart are the things of the world, the things that are temporary, the things that are selfish, the things that are human-natured, then that's going to be what comes out of your mouth. Because your mouth simply is a, is a reflection of the factory in your heart. Now, should be noted that the heart is the seat of your will. It's the seat of, your, of, your, of, of who you are. It, it's, your, it's your character. It, it's the personhood of you. When the Bible talks about the bowels or the stomach, that's the seat of the emotions. They're two separate things. We're not talking about the emotions here. We're talking about who you are in, in your personhood. Do you see? There's a difference there. Now, they, they work together, but the overflow of your mouth is not how you feel. It's who you are. Somebody, or not somebody, but some of us in here can look and say, you know what? I've seen myself move in this area. I've become more gracious with my speech. I've become kinder with the things that I say. I've become more intentionally encouraging. I've been, become more Christ-like. And you should celebrate that. You should be excited that God is at work in you. And then somebody in here might be saying, you know what? I've actually gone backwards in this. I've actually become more critical. I've become more hostile. I've become more discouraging. If, if that's who you are, then your first step is to stop and say, okay, what's going on in my heart? It doesn't mean you're not born again, it, it, necessarily. It doesn't mean that, that you hate God, but it could mean that there's some stuff going on that you haven't yielded to God. And, and that is an indicator that you need to do some heart work or allow God to do some heart work. It could be bitterness. By the way, that is a huge, huge, huge part of a person moving away from uh, being yielded to God. When you harbor hit bitterness or anger inside of your heart, that is like a cancer that just eats away at the things of God inside of you. And it always reflects out of the mouth. But now that you know and you deal with it, God can take in a day and do what you tried to do in a year. Amen? God can do very quickly in you what you could not ever accomplish in and of yourself. So, if you will, turn over to Matthew chapter 15. I want to share this with you. Jesus said the same exact thing to another crowd. But he said it in a little bit different way. In uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. Now Jesus is specifically addressing the Pharisees in this text. And he's, he's actually, it's kind of funny. He's responding to the, to the disciples who said, Hey Jesus, what you just said, the uh, Pharisees are kind of offended by that. And I don't know if this is exactly how it worked, but I think Jesus was kind of like, <clears throat> So? <laughs> I mean, it was like, okay, so I offended them? My bad. I mean, it's like, it's like he didn't really care. Because then he goes on to say, let the blind lead the blind, right? Because the truth of what he was saying was this. They were upset because there were, there were religious rituals, external laws that, the, that, the, the Jew, uh, that Jesus was not uh, making his disciples follow. You know, ceremonial uncleansing, right? They had to do all these things to or ceremonial cleansing. They had to do all these things to prove their righteousness on the outside, but it was doing nothing on the inside. And Jesus addressed that in verse 18 and 19. He said, But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a man. 
For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, and testi- uh, false testimonies, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So in other words, he was saying the religious actions on the outside are nothing if what's on the inside is not pure. And so here is where the rubber meets the road, proverbially. How do you live a life that is perpetually speaking kingdom things to other people and into the world in which you affect? Let me say it more simply. How can you use your mouth to leave a legacy? How can you use your tongue to leave a legacy that will build people up and encourage them rather than tear people down? Now, all of us, like I said earlier, have said things in the past we can never take back. Never. In fact, one of the things you know is that when you send a text, you can never delete it. You can delete it off of your phone, but you cannot delete it off of somebody else's phone. Have you ever done that? Send a text, and then you're like, ooh, boom, delete. And then it says, this will delete it from your, they still got it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they can kill me. So you can't change what's in the past in terms of what you've already done. What you can do, though, is begin to let God transform your heart in such a way that the words that are coming out of your mouth are hopefully restoring some of the things that you've messed up in the past, but also, hopefully, they will have new places for God to use your words to speak life into other people. Um, a couple weeks ago, I heard the story of, of a song that, I don't know if we've sung it here, but uh, it's by a guy named Tommy Walker. Phenomenal musician. Uh, he's from SoCal, South, Car- uh, South Carolina, South uh, California, worship leader for many years. Um, but he wrote a song called, He Knows My Name. You ever heard that song? He knows my name. He knows my every thought. Great song. It's very simple. But just a couple weeks ago, I learned the origin of that song, and it made the song all that much better. He was on a mission trip, and he was uh, in a very impoverished country, and he was in one particular spot, and there were just hundreds of kids crowding around him, wanting wanting to touch him, wanting to speak to him. And you know, if you've ever been on a mission trip, especially to South America, that's the way it is. They come up, and they shake your hand, and they they say whatever they say in Spanish or uh, uh, uh French, or not French, what am I thinking? Um, Brazil, what do they speak in Brazil? Puerto Rico, Port, Portuguese, Portuguese, that's right, Portuguese. Portuguese? Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, they would say it, and then uh, the translator would translate. But he was in this crowd of kids, and this one little kid came up and shook his hand and said, Me amo Jose, or, or something like that. Um, and, and, before he said that, actually, he said, sir, do you know my name? And Tommy said, no, I don't know your name, but you seem like a great kid. You know, God loves you, blah, blah, blah. What's your name? Mayama Jose. Oh, good to meet you, Jose. Thanks for coming by today. God bless you. He said the kid ran away, but 10 minutes later came back. Hey, how are you? Do you know my name? And Tommy said, oh, hey, I've you know, had a bunch of people here. Just, I, I, you seem like a great little man. I, what is your name? And the, he said the kid's face just went dead. 
He said, my name is Jose. And instantly he thought, oh my gosh, this kid, this kid from me has just been wounded. So the kid ran off with a very dejected face. About 10 minutes later, he made his way back up to Tommy. Do you know my name? Fortunately, being a wise man that he was, Tommy said, yes, your name is Jose, and God loves you. He said the boy threw up his hands and began running around through the crowd. He knows my name. He knows my name. He knows my name. The American knows my name. That night he went back to wherever he was staying and he wrote the song, He Knows My Name. See, to that little boy living in great poverty, the only thing he had was his name. He was basically unseen, unheard, and unknown. And for this total stranger who looked like a king, because a lot of ways that's what they'd be view, somebody going over there would be viewed as. There, there's a perception of you're an important person. We're not. That's not true, but that's the, that's the perception sometimes. Knowing the little boy's name gave him great joy. And I don't know what happened next from that, but I can tell you most likely it set a spark in that little boy and he never stopped talking about the time the American knew his name. And what I want to say to you is this. I believe that he was able to remember the name the third time because I believe he walks with the Spirit of God. And God said, you need to remember this little boy's name. In fact, I don't know this for sure, but I imagine he thought to himself, Lord, would you help me remember this kid's name? Would you help me remember his name? And that interaction was monstrous in impact for the one little unseen, unheard boy. But you know, you and I have that opportunity every day. We have the opportunity to allow God to speak to us and then to speak what God speaks to us everywhere we go. So your legacy is determined by what you do with your tongue. Will you use it to curse or use it to bless? Will you use it for salt water or use it for fresh water? Will you use it for despair or will you use it for hope? Here's a couple of ways that you can do that, okay? Number one, when you are going about your daily life, don't forget to start by yielding to God. Have an attitude and a heartbeat of obedience to God. This is saying, Lord... It is not me who, is, who wants to live today. I want you to live through me. So my hands are yours. My feet are yours. My heart is yours. My mouth is yours. Every part of me, God, I want to be yours. Give me ears to hear and give me eyes to see. And give me hands to do and a voice to say. It's this simple act of yielding to the Holy Spirit inside of your life that, get, that, that sets you up for the ability to begin to give life to people. And then here's what you do. As you're moving throughout your day and as you see opportunities to speak into people's lives, do it. 
Some of the things that I like to do is I like to point out in people when I see God at work. Like if I see that God is, is building your faith and I can specifically say, listen, I, I've, I've watched you the last couple of weeks and I really see God at work inside of you. Man, that's fantastic. Now, that might not be changing their life forever, but it may be getting them through the day. I sent a text just, um, just the other day to a friend of mine, just a real short little simple text. And he said, man, that's exactly what I needed. It was almost like, it was almost like God told you to send this. And I'm like, well, he did. But you know what? You have the ability and the opportunity every single day to listen to God and respond to God in seemingly little ways that are going to either push people along just one more step or it could be that pivotal moment, that moment where, on, where they're in the, in the very edge of going left or right and your word, the right word at the right time, moves them in the right direction. Say somebody is listening to the voice of God or they're, they're hearing from God and they're wondering, which, what should I do? Which way should I go? And God prompts you to encourage them in a certain way or a specific way and you do that. It is as if God was speaking to them through your very mouth. And they said, you know what? You have just confirmed what I've been wrestling with God on. I'm going to go this way. And when they do that, you have left a legacy in their life. Now, you, it, it, they may not ever be, be able to go back and say, you know what, it was this conversation with this person, I give them credit for that. But that doesn't matter because the fact is you've helped a person move towards Jesus as opposed to away, for him, away from him because you spoke the right word at the right time. So I try to find out where people, I try to be observant of where people are, are where God is moving in people's lives and I want to encourage that. Sometimes, I like to say this, even to a total stranger, if there's a person who does something that is Jesus-like, one of the most powerful things you can say is, you know what, you remind me of Jesus just now. You did this, and that's exactly what Jesus would have done. And it's especially effective when it's somebody who's nothing like Jesus in most other ways. Think about it. When you tell somebody who is acting like Jesus that they're acting like Jesus and they may not be a Jesus follower, that causes them to go, wait a minute, me? I mean, it's a really strange reaction sometimes. But if you see it and it's true, why not say it? Go ahead, because you never know what God is doing. Another thing that, that we can do is we can praise the work of God in people publicly. This is incredibly powerful. If somebody does a good job and I go to them privately and say, listen, you really did a good job. Thank you. Nice, nice, nicely done. They go, man, thank you. I appreciate that. But when you stand on a stage and you say, you know what? I just want to tell you about Bill. Bill, I'm just so proud of you, man. You've done such a good job at this. And I just want to honor you in front of all these people. What does that do? That, that is like like exponentially encouraging. Now, some people don't like to be called out like that, and you really have to kind of know sometimes that, who not to do that to. Like, there's a few people in First Baptist, I have to keep myself from, from praising them because I know that they do not want in any way. But most people, when you praise them, and I'm not, this is not a, it's not an ego thing. This is a genuine praise. When you praise them in front of 
somebody else, you are building into their lives and you are actually building your legacy into their lives. This is especially powerful with children. My, uh, my neighbor, um, he was driving his sisters, my neighbor, my young neighbor, he's like, uh, I don't know, how old is Logan? Uh, 12, 10, 5th grade? Well, I, I don't know ages, I'm sorry, I just, I just know people. So he, he's driving his sisters in the golf cart down our, the front of our street. And as he's driving, uh, there were some older ladies standing on the, on the side talking. And he came to a very slow crawl, and he eased past them, and then he picked up speed again. He was obviously being concerned that, that he would be cautious around the neighbors. And I, instead of going to tell him then, I waited. And I waited for an opportunity when he was with his father at my house. Every, every night or so, we'll come out, we'll talk, for, you know, talk shop in the front yard or whatever. And I waited until the two of them were together, and I said... Logan, I need to tell you something, and your dad needs to hear this. He's like, isn't it funny how instantly our thought is, oh, no, what did I do wrong? I said, man, I need you to know, I was so impressed by your, your maturity and the way you drove the golf cart last week. I mean, you slowed down in a way that was so respectful, and you obviously are a very careful and cautious driver. And I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Now, I was talking to him, but I needed his dad to hear it. And here's why. Dad, I'm sure, appreciated hearing, my son is doing well. And there's no better way to encourage somebody than when you encourage them and they know that somebody else hears it. It's, it's how we're built, isn't it? It's the way we're wired. So think of all of the opportunities you have to encourage others in front of others. Now be careful. You don't want to. You don't want to do it in a way that be, that's fake or insincere or cheesy. Don't do that. But when there is a genuine opportunity, take that opportunity. Use the mouth God gave you to bless other people and the legacy that you leave in their life, even though you may never see it, will be eternally. I want to say beneficial. It'll be eternal. Put it that way. What about using your mouth to share the gospel? Those times when you don't want to talk about anything, uh, when you don't want to say anything spiritual because the person may or may not receive whatever and God prompts you to share the gospel and you do that and they trust in Jesus, your words have just led a legacy of faith in their life. But imagine this. Imagine you share the gospel with your neighbor. Your neighbor trusts in Christ and is born again. He leads his family to Christ. His children become uh, believers who are godly parents to their children. And then the same thing with their children. Five generations down the road because you spoke the gospel to one person faithfully as God led you to do. You want to talk about a legacy? That's the time when you're going to stand in heaven and God's going to say, what have you brought me? Well, I... I he said, I'll show you what you brought me. Turn around. You turn around, you look, and there's a line of people who you've introduced to the kingdom of God. You've introduced to Jesus, and he's, they were brought into the family of God because you were faithful to share one time with one person. So, your legacy is determined by your words. What you do matters. Will you use your words for God, or will you use your words 
for yourself. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want you to just examine your own heart and ask yourself if you're being faithful with your words. Consistently faithful. Ask the Lord if your heart is bent towards Him or if your heart is bent on things that are earthly and temporary. Ask the Lord to give you specific people in your life that you can begin pouring into. And ask the Lord to change your heart so that the overflow of your heart are words of life. Father in heaven, you are a good and gracious God. So grateful for all that you've done and all that you are. Father, I pray that your word would soak up into our hearts today. That we would let your words move us through obedience to being men and women of God. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for your kindness to us in Jesus' name. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.com.